if you want to be a guest, please email me. I have received so many emails of people that are excited and passionate about being a guest on this show. The process is time consuming. I go through about an hour long pre-interview and I determine where you'd fit best in the season. So if you've gone through the pre-interview process or we've messaged back and forth via email and haven't gone through the pre-interview process, I'm not ignoring you, I, I promise. There's just a lot on my plate and I am one person. That being said, I look forward to talking with every one of you that is interested in being on this podcast. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. If I don't continue doing this, I'm going to lose my entire family. I'm going to lose everything that I know. And it's not just your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters or whatever. It's all the leadership that you've had in your life, your youth pastor, your church, it's your teachers and friends. It's you're in a cult of people that are all under this same religion. So it's not, oh, I'm just going to lose my mom and dad, but I'll still have my friends or no. Every single person in your life turns on you because their thought process is, If they take away their love and support and you have nothing, you'll fall on your face and have to come back to God and bend to His will. That's what sends you to conversion therapy. That's the ultimatum that you're given because it's everything. If I don't continue doing this, I'm going to lose my entire family. Welcome to the Focus on Your Own Family podcast. Fundamentalist evangelicalism impacted a generation. We survived physical, psychological, mental, and spiritual abuse. We survived the Focus on the Family movement, and we want to talk about it. Trigger warning, guests will be sharing stories of domestic violence, child abuse, and animal abuse. Please listen with caution. Thank you. This is Zachary. Here is his story. Hey, Zachary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Nobody really knows that we were chatting for an hour before this. (laughs) So it's weird to start, right? Hey, I haven't talked to you forever. No, we've been- We talk every day on the phone. (laughs) All right. For those that do not know who this wonderful man is, his name is Zachary Heath. He is on TikTok. That is where we met. Oh gosh, I had just started TikTok and I don't remember what- video I commented on, but the kind of the running joke is that my phone still remained evangelical after I was no longer evangelical. So I would try to say something and it would switch it and you caught on to that. And then we were just instant friends. We were from the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and the whole they hated me because I was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a video on TikTok where I am oh gosh, I was talking about the fact that I couldn't fit in with the church that I was currently going to because people like the women just wouldn't talk to me. And I asked my then best friend at the time. And I said, why? Like I'm doing everything. I'm showing up for the women's meetings, for Bible studies. I'm inviting people over to my home. Like I'm trying everything to assimilate into this church. And she said, the women don't like you 
because you wear makeup and you, you look like you, you just, you're put together. I don't understand. And she goes, they don't like you because you're too pretty. I made a TikTok about this, but where it's really funny is that I made it when I had been stuck in inside like misty rain. I looked like a drowned rat. And I'm saying this from, from Sean's truck, like the truck and it's raining outside. And I, I don't know. I just, I'm like, and they didn't like me because I'm pretty. And it's just the way that I say it. And you can't decide what goes viral, what catches on. And that was my first experience because I just got over and over. I don't think you're that pretty. <laughs> oh, yes. Don't you hate how it's like you don't ever get to pick what videos go viral. And it's always the ones that like you don't put that much effort into. It's not really content that you really want to make. Like it's like filler content yes. are the ones that like yep. me that. Yep. Because the ones that actually have a message to it are, are they never, they fall flat. Like uh, the one that really got me interested in starting this podcast is I was getting my, I was getting myself ready because I had to take my kid to lacrosse practice. And I've realized, oh, I don't have a video right now and I need to post today. And I had just gotten done watching Shiny Happy People and everybody was talking about Bill Gothard this and Bill Gothard that. And I was like, what about James Dobson? There's an entire, like James Dobson was everywhere where Bill Gothard was such a small in comparison to Dobson was so small. Well, the the independent fundamental movement was smaller than the evangelical, the evangelical movement. Both rose to, if you will, power at the same time. It's just that Gothard went more extreme where Dobson was like, I'm going to provide the same thing, but less extreme. And what I call it is, so Dobson inspired Gothard, Gothard inspired Dobson. It's like this hamster wheel of hell. And that's the way that I describe it. And I just get on Zachary and I'm like, everybody's talking about this, but what about Dobson? And I hold up a wooden spoon. And I was like, cause all of us had to deal with this and, and that's it. And I press upload and I walk away and 30 minutes later, it's like at 50,000 views. And I'm like, what and the heck? It's, it's, I think I'm still waiting for the shiny, happy people version of focus on the family to come out. We all know it's coming. First, we had God forbid, which exposed out all of the Falwell and the scandal going mm-hmm. on with Liberty University. Mm-hmm. Then you had shiny, happy people come out, which I feel like they did such a good job of making America want to watch that because they made it seem like it was about the Duggars. And it was. I did not expect that to be what it was when I watched it. And even family members of mine that are part of that independent fundamental Baptist upbringing that I was in messaged me. And they were like, Oh my God, have you seen this? And I'm like, yes, I'm surprised that you're watching it. And that was this whole thing of I'm realizing a lot of religion trauma that was put up on me as a straight person. You know what I'm saying? Like these are people that weren't gay and they're dealing with the, was I beat as a child as this is a normality when actually DCS should be called (laughs) like that's that's just it is I for me watching it I watched it next to Sean and 
Sean, I think, was more shocked when he watched God Forbid because there was a lot of nuances that are specific to evangelical Christian, the fundamentalist evangelical movement. And, and the way that it plays into politics, God forbid, he, like that was. Yeah. yeah, he would he would look at me and he was like, I can't believe this. Is this, is this real? And I said, yes, this is absolutely real. This is my upbringing. And then we watched Shiny Happy People. And he was, he had heard a lot of what I had been through growing up and what I experienced. And so it, it wasn't completely shocking, but there were moments where he was like, oh my gosh, I'm re-, like, you could just see the utter just shock and, and him being repulsed. This feels normal. And that's just, it is like watching shiny, happy people felt like I was putting on a warm blanket because it was so normal that I just felt like I was back in my parents' home again. And that is what's spurred me on to say, y'all did not really mention Dobson. And Dobson is the one that infiltrated main culture. Yeah. I think they're waiting for a Dobson scandal. Gothard, they had Mm -hmm. all this sexual abuse. All of these victims spoke up and they all had the same story. It all, it, and I think it's coming. I just don't know what will happen on the focus on the family movement of that. But I think in due time, and maybe it'll be conversion therapy. <laughs> maybe I hope that's- so. Look, that's why I started this podcast is because I'm not going to wait around for a an Amazon Prime documentary or a Netflix documentary. I'm not waiting for that because survivors of Focus on the Family of James Dobson, we deserve to have our moment to give our impact statement, our victim impact statement. And I'm not going to wait to challenge conversion therapy and to speak out against it, to speak out against true love weights and horrible abusive parenting practices. I'm not waiting for that. I'm not waiting for some producer somewhere to curate it the way that they want it. I want the real raw conversation. I want to bring that. I want people to know what we went through, that it's not curated. I'm so glad that you are doing this. There have been so many people that can't even listen to what it's about, let alone advocate to make it stop. And I'm sitting here at a place that's, this is so horrible going on in our country, happening to children, that people who have come out of the church can't even sit and listen to it let alone advocate for it. And what we need are more people like you that will push it to platforms and get the word out to people that actually need to hear it. Because us conversion therapy survivors bandwagon together, like just telling each other and talking about it isn't going to make a change. And it's, there's churches that don't even know what's going on. Like it's, they believe that gay is wrong and that it's a choice. Actually, they're not actually participating in the active conversion therapy and things like that, they more or less just run those people out of their church. When you've got people like me that were stuck in that, that it's not just a lot of families go to church and they just, they just attend. They don't participate. They go on Sunday morning, they get their check, they get their check mark for being at church, but then they don't come to Sunday school class. They don't do Awanas. They don't do youth group. They just come Sunday morning and that's that. And a lot of these churches are made up of that. But when you get to the Sunday night and Wednesday night crowd, 
that's when you get into the deeper things that are going on in a church. You want to know what a church believes? Go to a Wednesday night church meeting. You want to find (laughs) out what they don't say that stuff on Sunday morning because they don't want to scare those people away. They want to keep them big numbers up, keep the tithes coming in. So get in on them Sunday night, Wednesday night services that a lot of the church is not attending. That's when you find out what's going on. But it's, I don't feel like people understand that grasp of what conversion therapy really is or that these pastors do it. But I think a lot of people just bow out before they come out. I think they just get out of church instead of going through that shame. But when you've got somebody that's brought up in it and your family, you going to church depends on your family accepting you and loving you or not. If you ain't at church, you ain't getting accepted. If you're not at church, you're getting a phone call. Why weren't you at church today? Like, I can't have a conversation with my grandma without her saying, you need to be in church. You need to be in church. Yeah. No, man. I, yeah. It's, so for those of you uh, curious, my friend Zachary Heath is a conversion therapy survivor. And I know that I am interviewing a lot of people that are conversion therapy survivors And I want people to hear firsthand what is happening because a lot of people believe that it's illegal in every single state. And it's not because here's the thing. Fundamentalist evangelical movements, all the same. um, They are always one or two steps ahead of everybody. And they have figured out a way around somebody saying it's illegal in our state. They're always going to figure that out. And conversion therapy isn't something that people know about until they come out. It's a therapy that's under the guise of biblical counseling or pastoral counseling. And because they put it under that, biblical counselors are not real counselors. They are not held liable by the state. They're not licensed through the state. They don't have an overhead. They can be part of a group. I think it's ACBC or something like that. That's the wrong acronym, but it's anyway, it's something like that where they have a standard. But if they break that standard, it doesn't mean anything. There's no accountability. To me, this is the easiest way to explain it. You have public school and private school. Public schools are restricted by their state rules Mm -hmm. and regulations Private schools do not have to follow those rules and regulations. My senior year of high school, I missed 82 days of school. And my, and nothing could be done about that. They couldn't call the state on my parents or anything. As long as I was doing my work and had the grades to graduate, the rules didn't apply. You miss three days of school in public school, then the police are going to come knocking on the parents' door wanting to know where the kids are at. It's the same thing. Just apply it to therapy. <laughs> you have therapy that is is... They go to school, therapists, they go to school and they get licensed and they have continuing education and they have specialties and all that. And then you have ordained ministers of God who are teaching or counseling people on issues that they have no business counseling on. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thank you to those that have reached out with your support, whether you have left a review. If you haven't left a review, this would be a really, really good time to leave a review. Read every single one of them. So thank you. And for those that are subscribers to my Patreon, thank you. 
It means so much. One of the new features that I am adding for my paid Patreon subscribers is the chat feature. And this is just a way that we can all continue this conversation that we're having in the podcast. And if you are not a paid subscriber, unfortunately, the chat feature won't be available to you. But you can be a free subscriber and you'll just get the weekly newsletters. Y'all are amazing. And I honestly could not do this podcast without the support that I receive from each one of you. So thank you so much. Exactly. Yep. It's, it's horrible. And that is what we are going to talk about, but it's not how you started. And it's not how you're finishing. It's part of your story. And I, I would like to know when did for you, when did religion and sexuality intersect? Like when do you remember that age? Do you remember when you became aware? It is my, it is as far back as I can remember, which is around age seven. And that is all I remember about that time in my life is the fear that I felt because the way that this started for me was I started finding boys attractive at that age instead of girls. I was terrified as what was developing in my mind because I didn't want this because I had been indoctrinated to, to know that this was going to send me to hell. I would go to hell for having these thoughts or for thinking this way, I never thought, I never had the mindset, oh, I'm just developing this way, or it was, there's something going on in my life. And I remember that our principal, I went to a Christian school, which was a independent fundamental Baptist school, which was Bill Gothard teaching. I would love to say it was James Dobson because that would have been better, but it was the Bill Gothard and it was spanking. We were spanked by our principal if we did things wrong or whatever, but he would bring a little red wagon around and he would look through the window of the classroom and see who was being good. And he would bring that wagon in and let them pick out of the wagon a treat. And I always remembered sitting there thinking, does he know that I have an attraction to boys and not girls? Have I done something that makes him not like me that he doesn't let me pick out of that wagon? And that just, that stuck with me all through school. I, every day of my life was analyzing everybody around me to see if I was safe or not, how I had to have my guard up or not, because one, one wrong move and somebody's going to catch on. If I look at a guy the wrong way or somebody catches me staring at a guy or it was, I remember I wouldn't make eye contact with guys that I thought were cute. I wouldn't make eye contact longer than a couple seconds. And I like... To this day, I'm still like that because of that for me as a child. But the thing that sucks is that happened. And that's as far back as I remember as my childhood. And then all my childhood was that. I'm the grandchild of an independent fundamental Baptist preacher. I not only knew that this was wrong, I heard my family sit on the back porch after Sunday lunch and talk about gay people. I knew what they would do to me or what they thought of me if I if they ever found out. It wasn't just, oh, I want to try and hide this. I was truly terrified as a child. 
I never felt safe. I never, every, I don't even know how to get to that part. Every day I lived in fear for something I couldn't change because I knew I was going to go to hell. And I'm talking a seven-year-old, a seven-year-old mm. thinking that. I couldn't focus in school because all I could think about was how am I going to get out of hell? I couldn't, All I would sit all day and make deals with God. If you'll take it away, I'll do this or this. You get to the point that you're just like, what do you want from me, God? What is it going to take for you to make me normal? Because I'm doing everything. I don't want this. I don't want to be attracted to men. I want to have a wife and children and a, and a, I want to be a godly influence and a godly man and all that because you're indoctrinated to think that's the only, if you don't do anything but that, you're going to hell or your family. If I wasn't, if I knew that if I wasn't looking at getting married by the time I was 20 or 21, what's up? What's wrong? Why aren't you doing that? Because that's what you're indoctrinated to do. Our youth group was marrying off at 17 and 18 and 19, marrying off each other. And these parents were thrilled. Popping out mm-hmm. babies three months, getting pregnant three months after they're married. And I'm sitting here going, when are you going to live life? Yeah. You're, you're going to from seven to 12 and purity culture, which I talk about a lot on this podcast, but that is James Dobson is very much the architect of the purity culture that we recognize from our generation. So true love weights, the purity rings, purity balls, that sort of thing. And because saving yourself for marriage was something that has been patriarchal and that's been going on since the like 1400s, 1500, that sort of thing, like chastity and everything. But the when I say purity culture, I am speaking about the the conferences and the mass production, the commercialization of women's virginity, because it wasn't heavy, as heavily emphasized. Like there, there's a lot that happened to men, but so much happened to women. However, I think that it's important. Like I value your perspective because you hold such a unique perspective, right? Because you can see that you were there for the teachings that were given to men that were given to boys, teenage boys. So you can say that, yeah, it was very much like a boys will be boys slap on their wrist. Don't you dare. But at the same time, you're thinking, dear Lord, these guys I'm sitting next to are super hot and I'm supposed to pretend to want to be with girls and not these guys. So I'd love for you to talk about that. Like the one, the hardest part is growing up, guys talk about girls. They talk Mm. about their bodies. They talk about, they talk about wanting to have sex and things like that. I didn't have that desire. I'm sitting around talking to the guys, like being like, I'll do you, you and you. Like, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? For me, I always wanted to be around girls. So I didn't have to listen or talk about, or be forced to talk about the sex thing, like locker room talk. I'm looking at the guys bulges as they're talking about girls boobies. And I'm like this, and and I'm in a Christian school like that. To me, that was a lot worse because it's, I feel like the Christian school kids were worse because they were the ones in purity culture and they were in the more extreme Christian education and things like that. So it's, I love the fact that I didn't have to struggle with 
saving myself for marriage or not slipping and having sex with a woman, there was no chance that I was going to be having sex with a man because I did not want to be caught. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that fear or anything or that, that desire. Cause it having fighting the urge to have sex with a man, it, I, w- I was fighting the urge to not think about men in that way. Cause I didn't want to go to hell. I'm, I'm, Purity culture for me wasn't hell. I was in my own purity culture hell, like in a different roundabout way. But we had the girl in the youth group that got pregnant and you hear the way everybody talks about them and she's no longer, she's no longer going to be usable by God or she's going to have to find a man that'll love her if she doesn't marry the man that got her pregnant. Like she's going to have to find a man that'll settle for a used vessel. Like it's just... It's disgusting the way they sexualize everything. Yes. Um, and they make you, they make people want it more by talking about it that way in purity culture versus if you didn't make it this, you got youth pastors talking to 12 to 18 year olds about this beautiful thing he experienced with his wife on their honeymoon night that he, that you know, they each saved themselves for this night. And I'm sitting here going, y'all are literally talking to us about your sex life. And then about how great it is. And then telling us not to have sex. It makes no sense. Yes, that (laughs) happened to me. I remember a youth leader coming back. She married our youth pastor and she came back and she had her journals and she just read her journals from her honeymoon. And she was like, you you guys, you have no idea. This is the magic that you're saving yourself for. And I was like, okay, but now looking back on it, you just basically read us an erotic novel. Exactly. And it's like why they feel it's okay to discuss their sex lives in front of a congregation or in front of a youth group. I was having a conversation with a pastor one day and I looked at him and I said, I don't, I wish that people could not, I wish that people could find out that I'm gay and not instantly start thinking about sex. And I said, because I'll tell you one thing, I do not think about you and your wife having sex. I just don't. And I'm like, I don't even get the, I don't even get to the thought process of sex. I think about the work that we want to do and the people that we want to help. And I'm like, but you can only talk about my sex life and how it's wrong. Like it's, I just don't like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I know exactly what you're saying. I had somebody else say that same thing very well, not the exact same, but so similarly, just this idea that when I say I, when I talk about the fact that I have a husband or that I'm straight, no, first of all, first off, no one, I don't have to announce my sexuality. And that's what it was, is my friend said, I have to announce who I want to sleep with, like the gender I want to sleep with, where straight people, they don't have to do that. That's weird. That's so weird. I am identified by my sexual attraction and straight people are never identified by their sexual attraction. It's not a thing. Because it's the right way (laughs) in quotes, in air quotes. Like it's, it's kids should not have to come out to their parents. Like, it it should just be, oh, this is my boyfriend. And, but it yeah. can't be that. Like, it, it can't. And I'm one that knows that of many people in this. Yeah. You're, so you survived junior high school purity culture. And 
at this point, you're living at home. And I feel like, so I can't stress this enough. When you grow up inside of this cult, you, you are still under that umbrella of protection, no matter how old you are. So you can be 50 years old. And if your mom or dad tells you something, you are still under that umbrella of protection. So I have to preface that because when you say that you're 20 or 21, people need to understand, no, you didn't have a choice. See, You don't start living your own life just because you turn 18 or because you move out. You're still expected to answer the call, come to dinner when they say, you don't tell them no, you don't back talk, you don't stand up for yourself. You, it's, they are still your authority, no matter where you go in life or what you do. It's, I, I remember if I wasn't at church, my mom would call. If I wasn't at first service, she would call and be like, you better be at second service. And I would literally, me and my brother would get out of bed and go to church just to keep the peace. No, yes. that we didn't want to go. I quit believing the, I quit believing the shit when I was in high school because you can only beg God to take something away so many times. And he tells, you no know, that you just finally give up. You can only no. ache for God to love you because you think he doesn't because or you're being indoctrinated to know that God will not love you if you have these desires. Like... When you spend your entire life aching every night, crying yourself to sleep, begging God, and he never answers those cries, but then you sit around and listen to people getting their prayer requests answered because they got a good spot up front at Walmart, like, it's infuriating. You know what I mean? So, like, I gave up on the shit a long time ago on what they believe. I never once in my life thought, oh, this might be a mistranslation because you're not brought up to think that way. Because if you question anything, you're disobeying God. So right then and there, you to, to question is instantly a disobedience. So that's why you don't. That's why they don't. Like, And why people don't question it, I don't know. Because I sit back and think, I, I could have had so many smart-ass questions to ask a pastor. But I didn't because I, you're not allowed. Why did nobody stand up and say, why are we not allowed to question this? But then you're also brainwashed to think that what you're in right now is love when it's not. It's so not. (laughs) Yeah. I can recall so many times just hearing pastors and, for, for instance, my mom, to question God is pride before destruction, haughtiness before the fall. But tell us not to question. You're brought up that you need God. Yes. So you have to do, you need God. I, I hate when people say you have free will. No, I don't have free will. Free will would be, I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences for it. Free will is not, you have free will, but you have to do everything I want or I'm going to send you to a lake of fire. That's not free will. <laughs> that That's an ultimatum. <laughs> exactly. that's, Which I'm not that's fond cool. of. Yeah, that's called coercion. But I think what I I love that you just brought up the word ultimatum, because for those that are survivors of the evangelical movement of Dobson focused on the family, ultimatums were so normalized in our life. 
every day we were faced with ultimatums and we never knew it until we escaped. Never knew it. I I can look back and say, oh yeah, check, that was an ultimatum. Check, so is that. But there was so much information control and indoctrination that we were, we would just say, oh yeah, no, that's just living a life for God. That's being kingdom minded. That's having a kingdom perspective. So I, See, I, my first ultimatum that I was given was if you do not stop being gay, we will not love you and God cannot love you. So I feel like it's really important to acknowledge this because somebody else said this too. Conversion therapy is always an ultimatum. Even if people say, yeah, I willingly went because they couldn't, they couldn't force me because I was over 18. Conversion therapy, no one ever willingly goes. It is always an ultimatum. So I feel like that's, I know that's so important to, to acknowledge what happened when your parents, did you quote, I say air quotes, but did you come out or were you found out? I fessed up is how I would put it. They knew I think the worst thing that my mom has ever said to me, and my mom has said a lot of horrible things to me, but the worst thing that my mom had ever said to me was, Zachary, I was 99.9% sure you were gay your entire life, but I held on to that 0.1% chance with all my might. And it took me about 10 years before I ever realized My mother watched me struggle my entire life. She watched teachers say, he's not a bad kid. He just don't focus. I can't keep his attention for nothing. No shit. I was over here trying to figure out the matrix in hell. You know what I'm saying? Can't sit and focus all day when you're having this fear of your life. Like, I don't think people understood the severity of What pastors preach when pastors preach on hellfire and brimstone, that's fear-based faith that they convince people to get saved just so they don't have to go to this place. So they want to describe it in as detail and as horrible as they can to make people want to get saved. Now think about the child that has gotten saved every time the altar call happens, whether they go down or not. And it doesn't change. Every time it come a lightning storm, I was praying because God's mad. That's what you're brought up thinking. Like, I, I was probably saved 97,000 times Same. You know, growing up. And even I remember there was a time in youth group that I went to my youth pastor. I was probably 11 or 12. And I went to my youth pastor and I said, I'm struggling in my faith. And he asked why. And I couldn't come out and say because I have these thoughts. But I knew God was not saving me because what their their term of if I was saved, I was no longer going to have those desires. So I knew that I wasn't truly saved, but they would be like, no, you've accepted Christ in your heart and you believe God and you've been baptized and you do everything. And I'm like, I'm still gay, but you can't sit there and say, I'm still gay. (laughs) It's for me, it was that my mom knew and watched me struggle and then acted like it was this big surprise when I came out. 
um, or fessed up. And when I say fessed up, my mom and dad sat me down and asked me. Um, they point blank finally said, because they knew that the guy that I had been dating, my mom sunk her claws into him and got him to church. He started conversion therapy before me. And that led to some issues with us. But then he ended up being like, this is whack. And he left. And I was stuck in it because his parents weren't religious and his family wasn't religious. He's got a sister that's a lesbian. Like all of these things for him, it wasn't a big deal. He was just scared by what he had learned from the preaching and didn't want to go to hell. But then once he tried to do all the therapy and stuff and realized it was a sham, he was like, I'm out. And he's, if you stay and do this, you're crazy. And I'm like, you're not losing your entire family by walking away from conversion therapy. If I don't continue doing this, I'm going to lose my entire family. I'm going to lose everything that I know. And it's not just your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters or whatever. It's all the leadership that you've had in your life, your youth pastor, your church, it's your teachers and friends. It's you're in a cult of people that are all under this same religion. So it's not, oh, I'm just going to lose my mom and dad, but I'll still have my friends. Every single person in your life turns on you because their thought process is if they take away their love and support and you have nothing, you'll fall on your face and have to come back to God and bend to his will. That's what sends you to conversion therapy. That's the ultimatum that you're given because it's not, it's everything. And I worked at the place that I worked at the time a lot of those people went to that church that I was at that excommunicated me. Nobody was for gay people. I'm from a small town in Tennessee. Gay people are not loved and accepted here the way that God says we are to love our neighbor. Yeah. It's, oh gosh, I was just explaining that to somebody today that when you stop going to church, it's like it comes in ladders, like a scaffolding, right? Like you don't show up on a Sunday you get a couple phone calls. You don't show up the next Sunday, you get a couple phone calls. There's a, I, I feel like there's a small time frame of mild harassment that we're just, we're loving you back to Christ. And then it's the real deal of you'll hit rock bottom eventually and you'll come back. And we're just doing this in love. We're removing our presence from your life the whole love the sinner, but hate the sin. We just want you to know that we don't affirm where you're at in your life right now. So we're going to take a step back, but we're still here. We're still here. So when you hit rock bottom, give us a call. You're, you're ready to no. bend to our will. Yes. Come on back. Yeah. Until then, we're good luck. And we're going to, yeah. we're going to get everybody. And then they pray for destruction to come over your life. Yes. That to me, it's, I, I have a clip that I've like on my TikTok. It's, I've got a um, clip from Pastor Scott Price at Fellowship Chapel in Bristol, Virginia. We went to church there. I was from the age of five to about the age of 14. And there is a clip where he was preaching on the prodigal child this past August. It'll be a year. It'll be a year this, we're in August now. But he sat there and said, parents of a prodigal child, you have got to pray for a famine to come into your child's life. It'll be the hardest prayer you've ever prayed, but that's what you've got to pray for your child. Yeah. And that 
that flew all over me because I know that's exactly what was told to my parents. But the pastor that told my parents to do this, when he told my parents to do this, while he told my parents to do this, he was having an affair with my mother. So Super duper. The, the pastor that is saying, send him out into the world, take away your love, take away communication, pray for him to fall on his face. And when he does, he'll have to come back and do what you want. What sense does that make? I'm not a drug addict strung out. I am a living, breathing human being with a nine to five job, a good career, success, everything. Like, it's so crazy to sit here and think I was the model husband for a woman in the church until they found out I was gay. And that one thing took away that my model of being a good, godly husband, that one thing changed their opinion of everything about me, but their opinion about me before they found out I was gay was that I would be such a good, godly leader and husband for someone in their church. And this is the person, this is the girl that babysat a woman's child. She was the babysitter that was sought out. She was the the person that the church, every woman in that church adored this girl. And that's, this is the person they wanted to set me up with. If you feel comfortable, talk to me about conversion therapy. The first thing I want, the first thing I want to say about conversion therapy is if you want a movie that will give you the details of what conversion therapy is like. Boy Erased on HBO Max. When I watched that movie, I sat and cried for hours because for the first time in my life, I felt like somebody else had gone through exactly what I had gone through. That movie illustrates how the church takes over, the family, everything, through conversion therapy, all of it. The thing I say on that is just flip the roles. The the mom and dad need to flip roles in my situation. The mom is the one that finally came to her senses in the end and said enough is enough, but it's spot on. The dad's a pastor. He runs the Ford dealership in the small town. They The son plays basketball, dating the hot cheerleader. It's spot on. The elders of the church called in, counsel, counseling with other people. Like it puts it all out there. The way that it started for me was counseling with the pastor. And this was one-on-one counseling without my mom and dad. And then they would have meetings. It's hard to remember a lot of it, but there was a meeting where I was between my mom and dad in the conference room of the church office, surrounded by all the elders. And I had to make the decision then, was I going to try and overcome this sin or was I going to be kicked out? And I did not want to lose everything that I had. And I think some part of me thought maybe this will work. Maybe there is something that I've just missed throughout my life. But I think the reality of it was, is I just hoped that they would come to their senses over time and kind of meet me halfway. So if I was willing to at least put forth some effort, maybe they would start putting forth effort to come to a common ground, but I found out very quickly that was not the case. I had to start counseling at Mustard Seed Ministries in Kingsport, Tennessee with Stan Leonard. He is the co-founder of that place. He has no, no business counseling people. 
He has no credentials. Everything is biblically based. No business whatsoever. I have had people in my following on TikTok come out and say that they were taken to that same place and they were sexually abused by their therapist there. One girl, her therapist told her to prove that she had gotten better was to have sex with Mm -hmm. him. And she was 14. These are harmful places. And then that's when the James Dobson conferences started with Love One Out. All of the material that was used through this was the James Dobson material. I had the lucky privilege of being part of the mega churches or one of the mega churches of the Southern Baptist Convention. We had Johnny Hunt at our church all the time as a guest speaker who everyone thinks he hung the moon. So he was counseled on the ways to treat my sex addiction, as they put it, even though I had never had sex. It's... <laughs> sure, they because what they have to do is they have to take that and they have to create an enemy. So what they say is it's, oh, he has a sex addiction, a perverse sex addiction, because they have to turn it into a space where it looks like it's something that you are going to groom other people with or assault or something like somehow they have to make you the villain of their story because there's no other way around it. At the time, I I think back on this and I think about the fear that they put in me and the things that they said to me and and the things that were done. The, The main pastor of our church that was having an affair with my mother, that that was going on. Then you have someone like Johnny Hunt, who has been accused of sexually assaulting his associate pastor's wife on a vacation. All of these men have these things going on in their lives while they're pushing something on to other people in a different way. And I'm like, it's, is it really just projecting? (laughs) Like every accusation is a confession because I did not have this, like, I didn't have this desire to leave church or leave God or quit my, quit anything that I was doing. I just had an attraction to men. I still wanted to sing in the choir and go to youth group and lead children's choir and be active in church. I still wanted a sense of community and belonging. I just couldn't get over this attraction to men. It's crazy to want to stay in the cult that's trying to change you, but it's because you don't know anything different. It's you're still terrified of every sin. At this point, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. You didn't do. We don't drink and we don't chew and we don't run with the boys that do. It's (laughs) it was so many things outside of being gay that I lived a godly life. I wasn't this sick, perverse guy that was out having sex with men everywhere. I, I was never that person, but that's who they painted me out to be exactly when they found out I was gay. So you go to conversion therapy. It starts out as therapy. It's then, of course, love one out. And you had a version of a version of aversion therapy. And also you had uh, reparative. I believe it's reparative. So they were trying to say that your dad wasn't masculine enough and that needed to, he needed to change that. And then you are assigned a woman. It's not, so there, in other conversion therapy situations, men are told, go find a girl and try her out. Not even told, go marry somebody. Just go find a girl and try her out. 
and see you're, you'll be cured because you'll you'll have a girl. Mine was you were assigned. Mine, yeah, I was the youth group marries off, and that's to me that's so weird. I, to this day, I still think <laughs> about this girl in my youth group. She always talked about the one of the pastors at the church. I don't want to give too many specifics because people do watch this that I know. <laughs> she always talked about how this one pastor was gave creepy long hugs. Uh, and she married his son <laughs> in the youth group. You know what I'm saying? Like it, everybody was marrying off young and things like that. And I had a friend who I, to this day, still love with all of my heart. I, I do. I absolutely love her. Her name's Stephanie too. And it's a great name. It's a great name. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous name. Because we were such good friends, my mom and the pastor were like, you need to pursue her and this y'all. It was more or less a, you can make it work with her. Yeah. And that should never be any type of mindset when it comes to marriage. Oh, I could make it work with them Mm -hmm. because the one thing I was worried about not working was my erection. You know what I'm saying? And it's, but in that, my thought process was all she wants is to be a mom. She wants to be a mom. I have a good job. I can provide for her. I can give her children. Hopefully she don't want a lot. So we won't have to do it because in evangelical religion, you don't have sex for pleasure. It's only to make babies. And if we're on a budget, we ain't having no babies. (laughs) I've had this whole mindset thought out that I could make it work with her, but I didn't want, because I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't want to lose everything that I had, but then I didn't want to live a lie. But if I think the breaking point for me was at the James Dobson love one out conference when the man got up and talked about his wife and kids and then proceeded to say, every day I struggle with the desire to be with a man because I still have that desire. And I'm sitting here going, so you're not reformed. You're just lying. You're just living a lie and your poor wife. And I, my mom was sitting beside me because they, my parents went to these conferences with of me course. like, yep. and did the breakout studies and things. And I just, I remember looking at my mom and I said, I'll stay single before I ever do that to a woman. And of course they convinced me to start pursuing the Stephanie thing and my brother and his wife would go on double dates with us to report back to my mom and dad. Like it, I was constantly being watched. Like my parents made me move back in with them during conversion therapy. So by the time I got off work to the time I could drive home, that's what I had to be home. And if I wasn't home, then they were calling want to know where I was at or what I was doing. I wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody outside the church. And it was very select few that they would let me hang out with inside the church. I was a prisoner. I was 21 years old with a full-time career, but I was a prisoner to this therapy, which is not therapy at all. And I couldn't talk to anybody about it because, A, I didn't think anybody would believe what they were doing to me. And B, Everybody in my life, I thought felt the same way or felt that I sh- would need to be there had I spoken up. I never thought anybody would be on my side. I never thought anybody would say, oh my God, I can't believe that's happening. Or I never thought anybody would try and stop it. And that's why I speak up about it now, because there are people that had they known the truth, they would have stopped it or they would have mm-hmm. stepped in and said something or, oh, it's so inhumane. Just It is. They rob you of your personal 
space and privacy and identity. And they turn you into, they, it's, it's just how Dobson is, right? Turning somebody into an animal and putting them in a cage because that's I mean, how he sees people. It's the same concept of beating children yeah. into submission. And it's yes. when you're beating a child into something that they don't want, that doesn't make that child bad. If you're pushing something on a child, there's a difference in saying, oh, you need to eat your vegetables or, oh, you need to read the Bible an hour a day. Those are two different things. When you're whipping a child because they're not reading the Bible or you're dis- you're taking away your love because they're not living the life that you want them to live, that's disgusting. And that's what this man preaches. Like, Yeah, it's just, I think about who you are and you are so kind and compassionate. And I can imagine like knowing who you are today and imagining who you were at that time, just figuring out who you are as a human, because as 20, 21 year olds do. And by the way, this needs to also be addressed that those that escape the evangelical movement are, we are socially and emotionally at the level of like studies have been done, science studies have been done that we are socially and emotionally at the level of a 14 or 15 year old person, because at that age, that's a major age in development where we break from this child way of reasoning. And we're starting to reason as older teenagers, we're learning their reasoning skills, critical thinking and logic skills as adults. However, we're told at that point, you are to be completely reliant on God. And by the way, God is going to be interpreted by those in authority above you. So you are always told what to think, feel, everything. Everything is through that that perspective. So we don't have the ability to critically have critical thinking and logic. So when you're 21, socially, emotionally, you're still utterly dependent on your parents because they interpret God for you. So that I, I think that distinction needs to be said. And I know we're covering a whole lot of ground, but I, I just feel like that needs to be stated. It, it does. So you're in, like I said, to who you are. I can't imagine what I can only think of is just how they gutted you and made you into this shell of a human because I know you, you want to make people happy. You love people. And so I can imagine that you are in a space where you're like, I'm going to do anything to keep the peace and to make people happy because I just, I, I love the people that love me and Mm -hmm. you are seeing this as love. And that's a whole other thing, but this is what we view as love. And it's a hundred percent abuse. Yes. But for us, love is synonymous with control. Love is synonymous with submission. Love is synonymous with abuse. There's, they are one in the same. It's not until after you escape that you realize that they're, they're polar opposites, but That's how we saw things. So I'm thinking about who you are, my friend. And I just, that is gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. I was different 
back then. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I was angry. I had a very short temper, very short, but it wasn't, this is how I would explain it. Who I am today and who is who I was with the world. But with my mom and dad and my brothers, I was this angry, short fused person. And it's because Mm -hmm. every day of my life, my family was rejecting me and I knew they would reject me up until the point that they actually did it. And that's the way that you sit here and describe me. I was literally sitting here thinking I was like, my mom would laugh her ass off at this and say, no, that's not him. Because my mom would describe me as ungrateful, self-centered. I would just say ungrateful and an and, and, and angry, short-fused, ungrateful, self-centered human being. Sure, because that's how narcissists project their own personality onto other people. <laughs> I, you had said this to me once and I'm going to fumble it. So if you remember what you said, please state it. They didn't love you for who you were. They didn't love and accept me. They tolerated me. Yes. And that's, I actually got that from a friend of mine. That's a drag queen in Tampa, Catherine Nevitz. She, she was brought up in the evangelical movement and was abused and things like that. And she speaks out a lot of that in that area. And that was something that she had posted one day. Don't go where you're loved and accepted, not where you're tolerated. Mm-hmm. And it's that, that really stuck with me. And that was beginning. That was the beginning push to start really pulling myself away later on in life. After conversion therapy, my family came around Um, but I still had to deal with the narcissistic, evangelical, condescending mother, which you of all people know that can be something other than having a gay son. That can be something other than there's lots of other things that those mothers will come and pick on and pull out and do. So even though my mom finally came to the conclusion, we know you didn't pick this. We know that God made you this way. There were still every other avenue of, or every other area of my life that they have to tell you what you're doing wrong. They have to, they have, to, you know what I'm saying? I know that you get that. My therapist told me, she said, Zachary, you're never going to get a different response from your mother. You're Correct. never going, she's never going to see it your way. You're never going to get from her what you want. You're the only one that's going to be able to control what happens in this as if you pull yourself away and isolate out and say, I just, I can't have this relationship anymore. Or if you're going to choose to keep her in your life, then these are going to be the consequences of that. And this was the second ultimatum that came down in my life was the first one was conversion therapy. We're going to take away your love if you don't do what we want here. And then my second ultimatum that that, that I got was if you're not going to keep a relationship with your mother, then you're not going to have one with your nieces and nephews. And it was my sister-in-law's attempt to force me to keep that relationship. So at that point, I remember saying, you all should know better than to give me an ultimatum by now, because I walked away from every single one of you all. I chose my sanity and my mental health over conversion therapy over manipulating a woman into marriage. And now you're going to look at me and say, if I don't keep a relationship with the thing that is keeping me tore up and keeping my mental health a mess, you're going to take away your children. You're not going to allow me to be in their lives. 
And I was like, you should know by now, don't give me an ultimatum. I'm not, that's not Mm -hmm. how life works. But the moment I cut my mom out of my life, all of those things about me, the anger, the short fuse, the irritability, all fell away. All of that. It's, she's the only person that can push, that triggers me. It, there's nothing else in this world that, that triggers me. I have everything under control. But it's because she will intentionally go to the spot that she knows. And Brian got to witness that one time. I know you love Brian to death. <laughs> But he got to witness that once. And I thought she had pushed me to a point that he would walk away and never talk to me again. When in reality, he looked at me and he said, no one should ever talk to anyone like that, let alone a mother to her child. And I just remember looking at him going, so you think she's crazy too? (laughs) Because my whole life was, that's your mother. You can't feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. What stuck with you? What chased you? What hunted and haunted you? when you left conversion therapy and as you escaped the fundamentalist evangelical cult. Oh, you don't normally stump me up. When you say what haunted me, what do you, do you you mean things like be more specific? Yeah. So I was talking with somebody and there's something that all of us that survived this culture that survived this cult There's something that we all share, but we never talk about. And that is the fact that we feel hunted by guilt, that something is going to figure us out because of how we were raised, that you're so bad, you deserve the worst that's going to happen to you, you should be in hell. And I think, I think for you, I agree with that completely. I my thought process isn't there anymore because you got to realize I got over my guilt a long time ago. Yeah. This was 15 years ago when I was sent to conversion therapy. I basically told the church to F off and I was like, never going back. You have a very specific way of saying that though. And I feel like we all need to be graced this. I told this church to fuck off, fuck all the way off. And when you get there, keep fucking off. If I could make that a sound bite, girl, I'll send it to you. I just feel like that would make my I, life. The first time Brian ever heard me say that, he looked at me and he was like, "Where did that come from?" He like nothing surprises him like when anything comes out of my mouth. But he was like, "Where did that come from?" And I was just like, I used to think that about the church because I said it to him one day. I was like, "And if you don't like yeah. it, you can fuck off. You can fuck all the way off. And when you get there, you keep fucking off." And he was like, "Where did that come from?" Because yeah. I had so much sass. He was like, "That's rehearsed." And I was like, "That's been like, it's been in, it's been in here and in here, your head and your heart, like forever." It's so that's my biggest regret is not looking at them and and saying, "Fuck off," getting up from that conference room table. All of them men trying to intimidate me. I, that's my biggest regret. And that's why I'm speaking up doing what I am doing now. I don't care to call these people out. I tag the churches and check in when I make videos, I check in on social media and tag the church in it. I want people to know what they're going to church for. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's important. It's imperative that it's imperative that we name names. That's so important. Yeah. So it just might get you sued. <laughs> yeah. So not naming all the names. <laughs> we 
That's why I have it at, at the end of this. And in the write-up, I have, I'm not held liable for the thoughts, feelings, and opinions of my guests. That's It's just important that I have that disclaimer. So what was the biggest lie that you had to deconstruct? That God doesn't love me. I think for me, the biggest thing that changed in my life for me was 1946, the movie coming out. Because like I said, I never once questioned the word of God. I never once thought, oh, this might be mistranslated after we've translated it. How many times you're brought up thinking that you're reading the true word of God. No, these people think Jesus was white. Like he was brown and wore a dress. Like they would flip their shit if he walked in their churches these days. But like 1946, the movie, what that did for me was it wasn't them trying to discredit God or discredit the Bible. They were trying to fix a problem that is logically a problem. The word should be pedophile, not homosexual. And when you take the word homosexual out and replace it with pedophile, the consequences meet the means. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wholeheartedly believe pedophiles should be stoned to death. You abuse a child like that, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But loving another human being is no reason to be put to death. Like, so for me, it was now I can get on board with that because the Bible is mistranslated and Mm -hmm. that's not God. That's man. Everything else about my relationship with God, I was cool with. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I love me. I love God, my version of God. It's definitely not their version, but, Mm -hmm. and I love people like it's hard to love some more than others, but (laughs) yes, yes, it is. Your smirk on that one was cute. (laughs) It's not that I don't believe in God, but I'm not saying I do. I'm still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But my relationship with God is better than it was because I used to tell him to F off on the daily, like all the way off. (laughs) Cue soundbite. I don't, I think the church, the one thing I wish that they could realize is when you push someone to curse at God and you don't even feel bad for it. Because when I tell you that's the terror that I lived my life, I didn't, by the time it got to the point and I don't like, I'm not scared of God because of the things that I have said to God. And the church is the only reason that I ever said it. And I think that God knows our heart and God knows my heart on why I had those feelings. And does that make sense? Like, absolutely. Yeah. We're tracking. Somebody asked me, aren't you afraid of going to hell? And I just instantly, without even thinking about it, said, I'm not afraid of hell because I grew up in it. I lived in it. I'm I, not afraid of it. I literally, people are like, you are you need to watch the way that you speak and all that because I'm not, I look forward to my judgment day. I have got a book of questions for God. And that is no disrespect. That is, I have questions that I want answers to. And I feel like we all deserve that because we've been given this book of God life down here that makes no sense whatsoever. Somebody was like, God's going to send you to hell on your judgment day. If I get to ask God the questions that I have, and then he still wants to send me to hell, I'm, I I want to go to hell. I don't want to be up there. I like, if that's yeah. truly how it is, and, and I feel that I have been put through what I've been put through, that God knows my true heart, and I haven't deserved a thing that I went through. I'm not scared of him. 
I'm, I'm not scared of him at all because like I said, I have been pushed to say things to him that if he ain't struck me dead over, I promise you, he's not going to send me to hell. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. I feel the same way. I could go on and on <laughs> with, we both with talking about, I know we just go on and on. Question. Yes. I want to talk to you more about what you are doing today and what you're doing moving forward. But I'm wondering, do you want to do a part two? Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes it's important to talk about the trauma, but I believe your story is so beautiful because you're really taking this and like your heart has just grown so much. You have so much compassion for people and you're working really hard just to restore your own personal faith in humanity and help others along the way. And I just, I feel like 20 minutes is not efficient to, to go over who you become. But I wanted to end with this and I wrote this down, but you don't need someone pulling a red wagon to tell you're good or determine your worth. Your worth cannot be quantified because it's infinite. You you. don't need that wagon. You don't need to wait for it. You're incredible for who you are. And there's that wagon can't possibly quantify it. Part two will come soon. (laughs) Part two. Thank you for being here. And I will, everybody, you will hear part two on Monday. Thank you so much for listening. And by the way, please go follow. I'm linking Zachary's socials. So please give him a follow. Although I will let you know, he's on a bit of a social media break. He's not doing it as much. He still is posting, but just not as much because he's got a lot of things going on right now. And yeah, but please go follow him on his socials and it'll just get you caught up on who he is. So you can appreciate Monday so much more. So thank you for being here. And I will talk to you. I will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure that you are kind to yourself and to others. If you are interested in supporting this show, please click the link at the bottom to my Patreon. These shows take a lot of time and resources and any support is appreciated. If you are interested in being a guest, please email the show at focusonyourownfamilypodcast at gmail.com. Inside of the show notes, you will find the links to mine and the guests' socials. Please give us a follow. We look forward to talking with you and connecting with you.